Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Tomorrow, something rare is going to happen. On Thursday, February 8th, the United States Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in the case of Trump versus Anderson. You can hear it in real time right here with our on WNYC, our coverage starting at 9.30 a.m. And for full transparency, some of all of it will likely be preempted for this. The case revolves around whether or not the former president can be on the ballot in Colorado based on his involvement with the January 6th invasion of the Capitol. These days, if you put the words Donald Trump and court into any search engine... We'll bring you myriad news articles. There's tomorrow's SCOTUS case. And then yesterday, a federal appeals court rejected Mr. Trump's bid for immunity and said he must go to trial for the 91 felony counts against him. And recently, Mr. Trump was ordered to pay writer E. Jean Carroll $83 million, $18.3 million in compensatory damages and $65 million in punitive damages for defaming her. And about six weeks from right now, the case that led Donald Trump to be the first criminally indicted former president is supposed to begin on or around March 25th. Here to help us wade through all of it is Andrea Andrea Bernstein. Sorry, Andrea. Uh, She covers Trump's legal cases for NPR, is the co-host of several podcasts, including We Don't Talk About Leonard, most recently, and the author of the great book, American Oligarchs, The Kushners, The Trumps, and The Marriage of Money and Power, which, by the way, Andrea, was our template for full bio. Oh, that's... Back Great in the day, know. remember? F- yes. Well, I feel like these court cases are just a way <laughs> of sort of living out the real life version of it. My goodness. Uh, before we get to the New York City centric cases, I want to talk briefly about what happened tomorrow, will happen tomorrow, and what happened yesterday. So let's talk about SCOTUS. Uh, the Colorado Supreme Court. The issue at hand is, did the Colorado Supreme Court make an error in calling for former President Trump to be excluded from the twenty twenty four primary ballot? What are we likely to hear? What are you listening for? Well, I mean, you know, anything could happen as I've I've come to learn in these court cases. So what is at issue here is there's a section of the 14th Amendment that um, I think pretty much historians and scholars paid attention to up until this year, maybe up until 2021, which says that uh, if you... uh, you know, furthered insurrection, you, an officer who furthered insurrection, cannot run for office. And so in Colorado, uh, there was a lawsuit about it, and the court ruled that indeed, uh, then President Trump, by his actions on January 6th, qualified uh, for that um, exemption of people who can't run for office under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and therefore could not be on the ballot in Colorado. Uh, candidate Donald Trump immediately sued. The case went right to the Supreme Court, which will have to decide what does that mean and how should it be decided. So, I mean, I think it's in, you know, the 14th Amendment, as we all know, was written at a time in history where uh, members of Congress were, and all of Washington, was really cognizant about Mm -hmm. addressing the issues that had led to the Civil War and trying to sort of, uh, you know, reframe our Constitution, reframe democracy so that we would be a different country after that. And for a long time that held until it didn't. So I think what we're going to see tomorrow is just sort of where are we as a country 
Now, of course, we're not going to get a decision as tomorrow, but mm-hmm. tomorrow, but we'll be able to tell by what the justices say and what their questions are, what's on their minds. That coverage starts tomorrow on WNYC at 9.30. All right, that's tomorrow. Let's talk about yesterday. A federal appeals court issued a 57-page ruling that said, in part, I'm quoting here, the former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant, but any executive immunity that might have protected him while he served as president no longer protects him against prosecution. How does what happened yesterday impact the cases that we're going to be watching going forward? Well, I mean, in the instant, it's about the January 6th case that was brought by special counsel Jack Smith. So that's the case where uh, Trump is charged with conspiring to overturn the election. And it's, I, you know, many argue the kind of central criminal case that is facing the president right now is uh, did he act criminally? in the actions that he overtook, that he took to try to overturn the 2020 election results. So the judge in that case, the federal judge ruled that, Tanya Chutkin ruled that uh, the president was not immune from prosecution, former president, by virtue of having been president. And yesterday, the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia affirmed that and said that indeed, a former president can be criminally tried. And I, I know there's so much to keep track of here, but I think that the most memorable thing from the arguments is where one of the judges on the D.C. Circuit Court asked Trump's attorneys, well, are you saying that a president could ask Navy uh, Navy uh, SEAL 6 mm-hmm. to assassinate uh, a rival or an opponent? And... Uh, Trump's attorney's response was, well, not if he'd been impeached first. And I think that's really sort of where the the stumble came. I mean, as somebody who's really followed these Trump court cases since the beginning, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, always the argument uh, with the Trump team is this is the wrong venue. So when he was being impeached, the argument was, no, let the justice system, let the civil and criminal courts take care of it. Now that it's in the criminal courts, the argument is, no, it should be a political solution. So the D.C. court said nope and basically gave uh, Trump's team a very short time to say if it's going to appeal and to, in fact, appeal, because otherwise the trial in the District of Columbia, which was put on hold, uh, can, you know, sort of get once again, preparations can be made to go to trial there. My guest is Andrea Bernstein. She's been covering Donald Trump legal cases for NPR. Uh, By the way, if you'd like to call in, we can take some questions for Andrea, especially if it's involving the cases here in New York. Our phone line's 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. You may call in and join us on air or text to us at that number. All right. You have been in the courtroom with a lot of these cases (laughs) with Donald Trump, (laughs) including the E. Jean Carroll case. Eleven days ago, a jury found Mr. Trump guilty of making defamatory statements about Ms. Carroll. Carol after she went public with her sexual assault claim against him. Now, this was the second case. He'd already been found guilty of sexual abuse and defamation in May 2023, ordered to pay $5 million in that case. What has stood out to you about the most recent case, or these cases, that you think would be useful to people to know as they consider the forthcoming cases? Anything you observed in the courtroom? Anything you've observed about the way Trump's team defend- Mr. Trump's team defends itself? Yeah. So, I mean, just going back, dialing back one case to the very big civil business fraud case that the New York AG 
brought against Trump, which actually started going to trial testimony and, and arguments back in October. So now we're in February and we're still waiting for a, a decision in that case. When we began that case, I mean, Trump's company had already been convicted of crimes in New York and Trump uh, had been found liable himself in the previous civil action, as you mentioned, brought by Eugene Carroll. He was found liable for sexually assaulting her in a department store dressing room and then lying about her. So when the trial rolled around in October, Trump had been kind of trying to avoid those trials. And I think, you know, there was an assumption among those of us covering that, you know, why would Trump want to associate himself with the trials? He was running for president. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't seem like, um, you know, something that you want to put foremost in the mind of voters. Well, that was wrong. Uh, I think that Trump pretty quickly figured out that he could, uh, you know, sort of maximize some of his campaign messaging about being a victim of, you know, what he calls a witch hunt by the Biden administration. Of course, these New York cases have nothing to do with President Biden or the U.S. Justice Department. In the case of Eugene Carroll's a private party. But he kept showing up and he would show up and he would sort of go out and speak to the cameras and deny, you know, what was he was being charged in the courtroom. So every day he had this, you know, huge international audience to speak to. And he ended up showing up 10 times for the testimony uh, in the business fraud case. And then he showed up every day of the E. Jean Carroll trial, except for the one day that he attended uh, his mother-in-law, Melania Trump's mother's funeral. And he made a very big protest about the trial going on on that day. But every day he showed up. And in fact, even the day of the verdict, he stayed almost up until the time of the verdict in mm. the courtroom, uh, leaving at the end of the day to go to a campaign event in Nevada. So, you know, I've watched Trump, as you know, for a long time. I've come to the conclusion he doesn't spend time on things if they are not going to help or, you know, advance his, his money or his power. And he obviously has come to the conclusion that it is advantageous to him to show up to these court cases in New York. But, but what you have is, for example, in the E. Jean Carroll case where there was a jury. So this is a, you know, the business fraud case, it's in front of a judge. But where there's a jury, the judges are sort of really protective of not getting information in front of the jury that they shouldn't hear. But nevertheless, Mr. Trump from the defense table, you know, audibly said things like not true uh, when, uh, you know, charges were made against him. At one point, he said, I don't know that woman. I could hear him say that. You know, mm -hmm. I was about 10 feet from him. The jury was about 10 feet from him. So presumably, they could hear it. He would go out at the end of the day and hold a press conference and basically defame Eugene Carroll all over again. And then that became evidence the next day in court. And it is, I mean, to say it's uncharted territory, I think, is underselling mm -hmm. what is going on in these courtrooms with Trump. He is really, really, really pushing the boundaries of the criminal justice system and suggesting outside of the court and inside to the extent that he can that these rules should not be applying to him. Is the former President Trump we see at the rallies and we see at the press conferences the same President Trump that you witness in the courtroom? You know, it's interesting because at first uh, in the New York trial, so the 
in the, in the civil fraud case, which is in state court, the rules are different for the media. Hmm. So the still cameras uh, and video cameras could come to the hallway right outside the courtroom. So he could, you know, something would happen inside the court. And he would sit quietly through some pretty boring testimony, you know, testimony about cell number 1168 on sheet G of spreadsheet mm. such and such. Really, you know, pretty boring stuff. And it went on from 10 in the morning until 4.30 in the afternoon with a couple of breaks in there. But he could go outside and speak to this large group of cameras and say what he wanted. Uh, so for the most part, now this sort of became less true as the case went on, he kind of sat silently and I thought, wow, this is a case where Donald Trump is sitting in a courtroom which for those who have not spent time in a courtroom, you know, a judge is kind of like a, a monarch. They're mm -hmm. up there on their bench, they're in their robe, they get to tell you when to stand, they get to tell you when to sit. And Trump would follow those rules. But as the Eugene Carroll case went on, where Trump, because it was in federal court and there were no cameras in the building allowed, no, no phones even allowed uh, in the courtroom, he would make these comments in court and there was you know one point where he testified and his testimony was very very brief because the judge didn't want him to say anything that would in essence you know sort of pollute the jury's knowledge so the testimony was minutes and he walked out outside of the presence of the jury presence of the jury and he said this is not america this is not america so you know these things don't normally happen in mm. court cases so in one sense you know trump is following the rules, but also ex very much not following the rules, and really, you know, sort of uh, threatening to upend the rules of decorum at every moment in these courtrooms where I've seen him, and not just decorum, but but the law mm -hmm. and, and how truth is decided, and you know that I think is what's sort of a little disturbing here is that he's, uh, you know, I mean, he is tomorrow going to argue before the Supreme Court. Or excuse me, he just argued before the, the D.C. Circuit Court and may yet go to the Supreme Court, even I can't keep him straightened, mm -hmm. <laughs> about you know, his immunity. But by his actions, he is also projecting that, that the rules don't apply. So, for example, in the most recent Eugene Carroll case, he wasn't allowed to deny the assault because a jury had already found him liable, but he kept doing it anyway in sort of various mm. subtle ways from the defense table he was not allowed to do it from the witness stand i've got a text that asks the question what happens to all these court cases if donald trump gets elected again do they get swept under the carpet well <laughs> um it, it it's different in each case so um let's start with the the case that we just talked about, which is the January 6th case. Uh, the president appoints the Justice Department. Uh, the president can order the Justice Department to drop cases. Uh, president Trump, when he was president, did that, for example, uh, or tried to do that with a case against uh, the former National Security Advisor, uh, Michael Flynn. Uh, so he, without doubt, directed his attorney general to take actions. And as he said, if he is reelected, he will do the same. He will tell his attorney general what to do. So I think we can understand from that mm -hmm. that if these cases are not resolved by the time he's president, he intends to get the Justice Department to drop those cases. So the 
that is why a number of sort of legal experts have argued it's uh, to have these federal trials go forward is crucial because otherwise they may never be resolved. The state trials are different. So the, a civil case is a civil case. Uh, and while the U.S. Supreme Court has stayed action on civil cases against a sitting president, uh, there's no reason to think, especially now that these cases have been dissolved, uh, resolved by juries, that those verdicts, you know, assuming that Trump doesn't win them on appeal, uh, wouldn't go through the normal legal system. Same for the New York business fraud trial. That is outside of the federal system, and Trump can appeal it, uh, but he cannot order it to be dismissed. There is also as you mentioned at the top of the segment, a criminal case in New York. This is the hush money case. Mm -hmm. And that is also outside the jurisdiction of the presidency. Trump argued while he was president that he couldn't be actively tried in a state court while he was president. So, for example, if the Georgia case doesn't get resolved before he's president, uh, excuse me, before the election in the hypothetical that he mm -hmm. were to be president, he could, in theory, argue that that case has to be put on hold because it would be too big a distraction. Mm. Uh, so each case has a different outcome. But, you know, as, as for the things that have already been decided, they've been decided now, with the one exception of the criminal case against Trump's company, all of the cases have been civil cases that have been decided thus far. We just spoke to Jay Rosen, journalism professor at NYU, about all the issues around news media and layoffs. And the issue of trust around media came up a little bit, about bias in media came up a little bit. What are your thoughts about how election coverage should be handled, primary coverage, given what you know and what you've observed? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's <laughs> so much to say about that. I mean, I, as you know, I, I covered the 2016 campaign. And in that campaign, that was really where we saw the beginnings of, you know, fake news and the press is the enemy of the people. And, you know, there had been a sort of, um, certainly, I mean, you know, Trump didn't start the erosion of of, of trust in the media, but he vastly accelerated it. And I think, you know, we are really in a position now where, you know, it's almost accepted that people are going to choose their own set of facts. And that is a, you know, very different and difficult situation to operate in as a journalist. And so, I mean, to answer your question about primary coverage, I mean, the primary is almost over, mm -hmm. uh, we think. Um, you know, I do think that when we talk about this election, we need to, you know, as journalists, we need to talk about the information environment that we live in. We need to talk about where people are getting their information. And it's something I think that journalists as a profession are not used to. They're used to sort of, let's look at the polls, but, you know, not necessarily get underneath the sense of like, well, how can you poll a populace that is so deeply divided about where it's getting information, what it considers to be the truth, and I think all these court cases connect back to that because Trump is, by his presence in these courtrooms and by the way he, you know, sort of denies facts that have been established in a court of law, which is one of the last institutions that, you know, most Americans uh, have some trust in to settle a matter. You know, when Trump comes out and says these rules don't apply to me, he undermines trust in the entire judicial system, not just in his case. And I think what we are seeing is what he has 
tried to do to journalism. He's all very much trying to do with the court so that if he loses cases, he can amplify the sense of injustice among his supporters. What advice would you give to someone who is in the far left, a far left news consumer and a, someone who is a far right news consumer? You know, I think I would give the same advice to everybody, which is to get out of your bubble and uh, read lots of different news. And, you know, I would say users across the news spectrum are in the habit of just rejecting facts uh, when they don't fit into their worldview. And I think that's a, you know, a dangerous situation to be in. And I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, court cases remain an important arbiter, because it's a place where under the Constitution, we have all agreed as a populace, you can settle what's true and what's not true and go through the process. And that, I think, is what you know, Trump is sort of trying to erode uh, as we go through this. Andrea Bernstein has been covering Trump legal cases for NPR. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, American Oligarchs, The Kushners, The Trumps, and The Marriage of Money and Power. She co-hosts the podcast, We Don't Talk About Leonard, Will Be Wild, and Trump, Inc. I know you are incredibly busy, Andrea, so I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show today. Always great to talk to you, Allison. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 